to your own feelings when you're faced with or have been faced with very significant changes in your circumstances. Perhaps it's moving to a new location, moving to a new job, the first baby in the house, going up to uni, or for some of us, the really old ones, doing national service, going into the forces, something completely unknown and what was it going to be like? What, what did all this newness hold? And who of us didn't have, or perhaps even now if we're faced with that, some sense of apprehension, maybe even fearfulness of what lay ahead of us? And recognizing how we may feel about this, I think we have some sympathy with these folk. It, it was a very new situation, a very dramatic change that was facing them in their lives. The future was unknown. And God, in his grace, appears, as it were, to understand this. And, and so he, he reassures them. And this is what we have now in this first chapter of Joshua. As the people stand at the entrance into the land, God encourages us then. And he does it in certain ways. And so that as they face this uncertain future, what does God do? First of all, he states again his purpose that he has for them. He said, you're here to do this because this is what I want you to do. He then says there's an outline of God's plan that's for them, how they're to go about doing and fulfilling his purpose. And then, thirdly, he assures them of his presence. The Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you have set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Phrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Why should you and Joshua be courageous and confident in taking the land? Why, says God, because it's always been my purpose that you should have it. You are, in fact, simply fulfilling what it is that I purposed for you. And so it is then that Joshua ordered the officers of the people to go through the camp and tell the people, get ready your provisions. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land your God has given you. You are to go in and possess it because God 
is giving it to you. It is his purpose. You should have it. In spite of the giants, the giants haven't gone away, but it is God's purpose that you should inherit the land. And this is not just triumphalism. This is trust. We've thought about this sense of trust. And the purposes of God help us in the first instance to recognize the need to accept the will of God. It is recognizing what God's purpose was that should give them courage, make them confident. They're not going off to do their own thing. It's not that we've suddenly decided that this is a land we'd like to have. They are going there because, in fact, a long time before, God had spoken to their ancestor, Abraham, and said, I'm going to create from you a nation, a nation that shall be blessed and will be a blessing to all nations. And so going into the land is a recognition that this is God's will for us. And secondly, he gives us the insurance because we trust, they are to trust in God's action. For the young lad who fell backwards, yes, when he was blindfolded, he had some sense that it would work because it had happened before. He'd seen what had happened. And, and here what God is saying is, go in and take the land because I am going to give it to you. This is not only my will, but it is in fact my action. I'm going to do it. And so there is that sense, again, of recognition. So the people, now that's fine, good, off we go and we'll conquer the land. And uh, must think about how we go about doing it, but uh, nevertheless we can do it. No, that was not the case. God then goes on to say, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And so God says, you are to carry out my will in my way. I have a way for you to do it. I've given to Moses instructions about how you are to live. So it's not only doing God's will, but doing it God's way. And so God says, hear. And how were they to hear? It's interesting. He says they're, they're to have it on their lips. The, the word of God was something that they talked about, that they shared with one another, so that they encouraged maybe one another to remember the things that God had said to them. It was a subject 
of conversation for them. And then he says also, you are to meditate on it day and night. We sometimes get seemingly a bit afraid of the idea of meditation. We, we sort of link it up with doing yoga and Eastern mysticism or something. But meditation on the Word of God is something which God tells us to do. It comes up time and time again. Psalm 1 has these wonderful words, Blessed is the man who meditates on my word. Psalm 119 repeats, uh, it's about the word of God, and it repeats meditation on it, thinking it over, letting it dwell in your mind, so that it becomes part of you. So I think it was John Stott who talked about, you, you have bibline blood. It, it, it's something that just is natural to you. It's part of your life. You meditate on the Word of God. And so that's what they were to do. They were to hear it. Do you ever remember as a child your mother or father saying to you, do what you're told? I seem to remember hearing that phrase. Maybe we use it with our own children. Do what you're told. Don't just hear what I've said. Do it. Now sometimes I guess as children, we said, why should we? <laughs> you know, what, what's the sense of it? And, and we do have to realize that what, when God speaks to us, he does it for our good. He's said to them, don't turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful. Meditate on it day and night. Be careful to do everything so that you may be prosperous and successful. And it was usually the fact that when our parents said to us, do what you're told, it was for our own good. They wanted the best for us. And so it is that God in his word gives us not just an arbitrary set of rules for the sake of it, just because he's God and we're his creatures. He does it because it is good. Be careful to obey. Be careful to do. So that we need to hear what God says and hearing need to obey. And so they are to carry out God's presence in accordance with God's plan. Still sounds quite a daunting prospect, doesn't it? That doesn't seem to accomplish it all. In fact, if anything, maybe it even makes them more worried. How, how not only are we going to do it, but we've got to do it as God directs us. How are we going to hear and follow and so we have this third thing that God promises to them, and that is the assurance of his presence. And so personally to their leader, God says, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead this people to inherit 
the land as I swore to their ancestors to give them. Then he goes on and speaks to all the people and says, Joshua refers to the words of God. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And so God not only is to show the way, but he promises the reality of his presence. Many years ago, I did my first business trip onto the continent and was driving a car. And I was due this particular morning to visit a factory in Holland. And I got hopelessly, completely, irretrievably lost. I just did not know what to do. I I didn't know whether to turn around and go back or to go on or, or what. So I just drove along for a moment. Then suddenly I spotted a couple of policemen standing by the side of the road. And being optimistic, uh, as most people in Holland speak English, I went up to them and inquired of them, asked them for directions, how do I get to this particular place? And they started to explain to me that I needed to go along here, and then there was a second turning on the left. I was trying to take all this in, and suddenly one of them jumped out in the road, waved down a colleague of his who was passing by on a motorbike. He talked to him for a moment, and then he turned to me, and he said, go with him. He will go with you and take you to the factory. What a difference. No longer lost, but having a police escort to the place I was going. What a tremendous assurance it is of God's promise. And there is, of course, we, we need to, as uh, it was written in a classical book uh, many years ago, back in the 1600s, practice the presence of God. That actually, we, we need to do something about knowing God's presence. It isn't just that he has promised to be there. We've actually got to recognize it and, and as it were, take it on board. It wasn't enough that they just said to me, this policeman will go with you. And I sat there and thought, oh, that would be very nice. I needed then to get in the car and get behind him, follow him, to actually practice his presence, to realize it as a reality. So that ancient writer, who was a monk, uh, working in, in a monastery kitchen, practicing the presence of God. And it's interesting if you read his book, and he talks about how he searched for a long time for the technique. What, what was it that you needed to do to, to realize God's presence. And he says, in the end, he said, it came down to something very simple. He said, I needed to think about God all the time. I just needed to think about God. And so he said, when I was busy in the kitchen, God's presence was just as real to me as when I was at Holy Communion. Because he 
deliberately brought God to mind. And that's what we need to do to practice the presence of God so that in the daily affairs of life we actually are deliberate. So they were to be a nation that lived out what it really meant to have God as king. As again, as the Lord had said to Abraham, I will bless you. I, I want you to enjoy me, but also I want you to be a blessing to all the nations. They were to be a demonstration of what it means to live under God's rule, in God's way, with a reality of God's presence with them. Becoming a Christian is a great personal blessing. It's wonderful to know one's sins are forgiven, to realize the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to give new life, to have a secure hope for the future. These are wonderful things. But God doesn't call us simply for our own personal blessing, but so that he will have a people to carry out his purposes. So, not only as they were to enter the land to fulfill God's purposes, so now God calls us. Remember those words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. We've been thinking about the resurrection recently over Easter. And after he rose, he gathered his disciples together, and we read at the end of Matthew, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, and some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's interesting that Matthew includes there, some doubted. <laughs> there were some doubtful ones amongst them, even though they saw the risen Lord there. But he says to them, I have a great task for you. You are to go out into the world now. You are to enter the land. You are to fill my purposes. And how does he describe it? He says, you are to make disciples. You, in fact, are to share with others what you have. You are to get them to follow me, to acknowledge me as Saviour and Lord. What is God's way? We need to follow his plan. What is that? It is to baptise and to teach. We've thought already this morning about baptism. And the baptism is the public acknowledgement that I am a disciple of Jesus. I want to follow him. And disciples then are to go on and to learn. And, and this is 
this is a lifetime's process. Uh, uh, someone said to them, you know, how are you getting on, on in your Christian life? They say, I'm a work in progress. We all are. Up to the end of our days, it never stops that we need to learn and, and to learn new things about God. And so this is one of the purposes God has. Teach them. My ways, teach them my commandments. Again, recognizing that the word of God is given to us for our benefit. This is, again, this is not just an arbitrary set of rules and regulations. This is the creator setting out the best way for his creatures to live. That's what we have to demonstrate as church, as the people of God. So it was, too, that he assured them of his presence. And we have to go about practicing that. Easy, of course, as we're here. Tomorrow may be different. We're not in circumstances where we sing hymns and pray with others, hear the word of God. We're distracted by all kinds of things. But it is a reality that we can, in fact, think about God as we're doing the accounts or whatever it is that we've been called to do. And so, as it were, yes, certainly being a Christian involves all these personal blessings which we enjoy and God means for us to enjoy. He said, I've come to give you life and have it to its full. God wants us to enjoy our relationship with him. But he also calls us to share that with the world because he doesn't want it just for me. <laughs> he wants it for everyone. God so loved the world. And his purpose is that all should come to a knowledge of him. And so there is that involvement that we're to have he spoke about that in the Sermon on the Mount. He said we are to be salt and light. And we are to seek first his kingdom. That is to be the priority in our lives. Seeing the establishment of the kingdom of God. Seeing the rule of God actually being worked out. Seeing what lies in the future, but being worked out even in the present. Tom Wright, who was previously Bishop of Durham and now is a research professor at University of St. Andrews, uh, has written a lovely book called Surprised by Hope, uh, in, in which he writes about the future, but also in which he says the future must impact the present. And so he writes in his book, if it is true, as I have argued, the whole world is now God's holy land, we must not rest as long as that land is spoiled and defaced. This is not an extra to the church's mission. It is central. The church that is renewed by the message of Jesus' resurrection must be the church that goes to work precisely in that space, time, and matter which is the world and claims it in advance as the place of God's kingdom, of Jesus' lordship, of the power of the Spirit, 
And of course, the church that takes seriously the fact that in and through Jesus, the Creator God has grasped the world of matter once more and has transformed it by his own person and presence and will one day fill it with his knowledge and glory as the waters cover the sea, will not only seek to celebrate the coming of God in Christ and through the sacramental elements, but will go straight from baptism and communion, as we have shared this morning, will go straight from baptism and communion to make God's healing, transforming presence a reality in the physical matter of real life. Yes, here we have celebrated what Jesus has done. And that now is to be shared, is to be brought about as a transforming reality in the world. It's true, there are giants in the land. David Cameron stirred up her uh, quite a bit of uh, discussion when he declared uh, the church ought to be more evangelical about a Christian country. Um, and in fact, it provoked a long letter from a group of atheists. You saw the telegraph, uh, they uh, all banded together, about a dozen of them, writing a letter pointing out this was not the case at all. So, uh, recent Archbishop Williams, Britain is now a post-Christian country former Archbishop of Canterbury declares. In an interview with uh, the Telegraph, he says, it's a nation, no, no longer a nation of believers. Further decline in the sway of the church, the influence of the church is likely in the years ahead. While the country is not populated exclusively by atheists, the Archbishop warns the area of regular and widespread worship is over. Almost two-thirds of practicing Christians appear to be frightened of speaking out about their beliefs. A survey found 62% saying the rise of religious fundamentalism had made Christians afraid to express their faith. Yes, there are giants in the land. There's opposition out there. There has been, there always will be, until the day when Christ finally rules over all. And so the task does present a considerable challenge as we go out. Just as the people of Israel, as they were about to cross the Jordan, what happened? Well, we shall hear about that next week. But they took the step. They went out. And God calls us to go out now. And then, of course, within this overall purpose of God, we each one individually will have a purpose. We need to understand and accept the will of God. What is it that God wants for my life? During my national service, I, I got sent out to Egypt. And I actually quite enjoyed the warmth from the sun out there. But there was an occasion when I was, I was really faced with God saying to me, would you be willing to be a missionary? And I said, well, yes. He said, to the Eskimos. I thought, you know that? I have to confess, 
I really would not like that. The, the prospect of that I find very difficult to take on board. And I had to struggle with that of God saying, would you be willing? Would you be willing if that was my will? Eventually, and I, I believe it was honestly before God, I said, well, Lord, if that's really what you want, okay. God said, well, I'm not actually asking you to do it, but I wanted to know if you'd be willing. So we're faced with that. And we struggle sometimes in our own individual lives, knowing what God's will is. How do I fit into this big picture individually? Some verses that Pat and I were given when we were baptized in Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. And so we need to have, as we go out into the land, the land filled with giants, to have renewed confidence. Confidence that we are actually involved in working with God. As Paul says, we are laborers together with God. We are called into this great purpose of sharing the love of God with the world. That's the purpose that God has. To have renewed confidence in his word. That this provides us as individuals and provides society with the best way to live. This is the creator's, the maker's instructions. This is the way we should live. And that we should be practicing God's purpose and presence daily and regularly in our lives. As we face the challenge of winning the world for God, and perhaps uncertain circumstances and future in our own individual situation, may God give us this renewed confidence, confidence in the fact that God is working out his purposes, that his word does provide us with the best guide for living and knowing the reality of God's presence as we go. We're going to conclude our service with singing a hymn that, again, some of the older ones will know as being more familiar. We rest on thee, and in thy name we go. This was a hymn that a group of missionaries out in Ecuador sang together as they moved out into a completely unknown land to claim it for Christ. They actually all suffered martyrdom. But it's become a hymn that, that reassures us and should encourage us as we go out into the land together. So let us rise to sing, We Rest on Thee.